AEW Match Guide Podcast, where we deep dive into the best matches in AEW history. Brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network and your host, Sam Brown. Yes, hello and welcome to the AEW Match Guide Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Brown. Thanks for joining me. Every week, alongside a special guest, I take an in-depth look at one of the best matches in AEW history, taken from the definitive AEW Match Guide, as raked by over 30 wrestling fans and commentators from around the wrestling world. And you can check that out on WrestlingHeadlines.com. My guest for today is my friend Miz Fan, and today we're looking at Cody Rhodes versus Chris Jericho for the AEW World Heavyweight Championship from Full Gear 2019. How are you going today, Miz Fan? Uh, greetings, Miz Fan fans. Uh, we're doing pretty well over here in America. Um, yeah, I'm very excited to jump in. It's a new uh, little podcast to be jumping onto. I'm really looking forward to talking about one of my personal favorite AEW matches here. Yeah, for those of you who don't know Miz Fan, he is a mainstay on Wrestling Headlines, formerly Lords of Pain. He's a former main page columnist. He is a podcaster, most uh, prominently with the the Legacy Series. They did WCW The Legacy Series and currently are doing WWF The Legacy Series. Both of them are fantastic history podcasts that are well worth checking out, as well as Miz Fan, I'm correct in thinking you did an AEW podcast at one point, didn't you? <laughs> yes, a uh, fun but short-lived attempt to get uh, my my partner in crime, Shane, aka Mystic, into AEW uh, right at the beginning. Didn't take for him. Uh, he still watches occasionally, but not enough to do a whole show. But yeah, you are correct. Fantastic. As I said, we are looking at Cody Rhodes versus Chris Jericho for the AEW Heavyweight Championship. But before we get started there i was just thinking i might ask you ms fan for those of you who don't know what's your your sort of history like with AEW? well it's funny i've been with AEW since the start since before the start i've been following along pretty much since uh the intention for this company was kind of made known i checked out all in of course as so many people did in uh god 2018 was that feels like forever ago but uh I can't claim to be so well-versed in the history of uh, the elite and the Bullet Club as they used to be. I was not so invested in uh, New Japan or Ring of Honor, the places these things played out. But I was always a big fan of Cody Rhodes, going back to uh, the days of dashing Cody Rhodes and some of the gimmicks he did very early in WWE when he kind of broke out on his own. So I liked him then. I liked him when he broke out. And when I knew that he was going to be part of starting this company – I thought, man, I do want to see that. And looking back now, I mean, just having a Rhodes be in charge of kind of putting together a company again, man, I, I definitely feel like I backed the right horse. Of all the guys who run uh, AEW, all the infamous EVPs, he's definitely the one I gravitate towards the most. And that's the reason I picked this match to go over with you, actually, because as you said, uh, you wrote when we put together de the definitive AEW match guide, um, you said that this is the definitive Cody Rhodes match. And we'll go into more detail about that later because I, I've got some questions to, to ask about that particular opinion that you've got. 
Before we get into it, though, to introduce the match, this was the first pay-per-view for AEW since they kicked off Dynamite. So obviously we had Double or Nothing. We had a few sort of mini pay-per-views in Fight for the Fallen and Fighter Fest. And then we also, of course, had All Out, which was just before Dynamite kicked off. But this was the first one where we got to see what their regular TV show and pay-per-view cycle would look like. Uh, in terms of the the flowers that this match has, Dave Meltzer, Big Popper Dave from Wrestling Observer, gave it 4.5 stars. Cage Match is rated as an 8.33 out of 10. And on the Grapple app, it's 4.05. At Wrestling Headlines, Chris Jericho and Cody Rhodes was the 2019 AEW Feud of the Year. Um, that's voted by the fans at Wrestling Headlines. Uh, it was the fourth in the AEW Singles Match of the Year for 2019. And, of course, in the definitive AEW match guide, it came in 13th with 71 votes. It was one of Cody's highest-ranked matches behind his match with Brody Lee and his match with his brother Dustin Rhodes from Double or Nothing, which came in second. So, given that this was the first, the very first pay-per-view, I-, I thought it would be interesting to ask you, Ms. Fan, what were your impressions of AEW Dynamite as they kicked off and built towards this pay-per-view? It's funny now when I look back at the early days of Dynamite because I remember enjoying it from the jump, but what stands out to me the most about especially the first few episodes is it felt like there was just this relentless pace of matches, matches, matches. I, I swear in the first several episodes of Dynamite, uh, aside from Chris Jericho, you'd hardly hear a promo, which was a little disappointing to me at the time, because to me, what AEW had the biggest opportunity for was to build characters. I think as they move forward a little bit and kind of uh, adjusted their style, which they are great at doing, which is why uh, we love AEW. You know, as AEW fans, they can kind of adjust as they go along. This is the feud that, to me, really kind of shaped what Dynamite could be. When I look back at all the history of Dynamite, and this is just off the top of my head, but still to this day, one of the greatest AEW segments, greatest AEW memories, period, that I can think of, is the bit where the inner circle has, like, barricaded themselves in the skybox, and they're, you know, causing trouble, and they're interrupting Cody while he's talking, and Cody gathers his allies goes up there, wraps his hand in MJF's scarf, which has great relevance to this match we're going to talk about, punches through the window, and they just start this giant battle with each other. When I saw that, that's very early in Dynamite history, and when I saw that, I was like, yes, this, this is what I want more of, and I think we have shaped Dynamite to go more in that direction. I think that is all for the best. Yeah, I certainly think that's the case. If you look at, say, the stuff the elite is doing now, it's it's very similar to the stuff that the inner circle was doing then. And, you know, you've got these run ins, but then these these heroes that are trying to, to hunt them down and they're they're doing all these sorts of shenanigans. And, you know, it's the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega who's probably fueled that matches, matches, matches perspective, given their history, where they came from, New Japan, Ring of Honor, very match oriented promotions. And yet now going into the third year, well, yeah, third year of Dynamite, that's crazy to think of. It's very different. 
In terms of the actual story beats that lead led up to this, we have to mention Chris Jericho became the inaugural AEW champion at All Out, uh, and Cody was positioned as the challenger for that by beating Sean Spears at that pay-per-view. And then in the first Dynamite, Chris Jericho formed the Inner Circle, um, which would very much inform his character going forward. We had a number of different altercations between these two on the way. There was, of course, Cody punching through the glass, which was a fantastic brawl. Uh, That was also the brawl where DDP returned and he had a return match in this build-up, which is something I'd completely forgotten about. And then we also had some fantastic video packages. We had Cody's very sports-oriented. It felt like a the sort of package you'd see before a big sports match of a pl- of someone who's really intensely focused on this match. You had different talking heads weighing in on what they thought. And then the week after, you had just a pitch-perfect Chris Jericho spoof on it, which was hilarious and perfectly done. Uh, and was it was also uh, very much a, a critique of Cody's character, this serious sportsman Cody was playing. And then, of course, the the highlight for me, at least, was was Cody's Ellis Island speech, where he got on the mic and he said that he went from being um, un oh gosh, I've forgotten the catchphrase now, uh, undesirable to undeniable. That was it. He was trying to get everyone to say that at that point. Um, but a very very powerful speech, which the crowd was standing for and he teared up for and that was of course when he announced that if he lost this challenge for the title he would never challenge for the aw heavyweight championship again miss van to bring you in what did you think of the the way they built these two characters chris jericho and cody rhodes in in this and i I will don't don't mention the the title challenge bit because i've got a specific question about that afterwards but just the general vibe you got of these two characters in the initial build-up of this match (laughs) <laughs> Certainly so. It's interesting now because you look in 2021, and I don't think you could possibly say either of these guys' stock is as high as it was at that time because no, absolutely, you know, not. yeah, mm. Cody Rhodes I think has had a dreadful 2021, and I hate to say that because I love the guy, but I think ever since he dropped the Derby, he's gone from lackluster stories and missteps and the weird. I'm going to fight England for America and all the, you know, baloney that like just didn't work. He's fighting Shaquille O'Neal. We don't know why, like all this stuff. It's just, uh, it's really put a tarnish on Cody. It's a shame, but you look back at this time and God, just like you're saying, the way he was connecting with the crowd, the promos that he was cutting, this guy was the most over baby face on the planet. It felt like, and it's a shame that we now have some distance from that, but it's incredible to think back on it for Chris Jericho as well. I think, I don't know if time has caught up to him or it's a face turn or something, you know, maybe his kind of political beliefs uh, coming out a little and people not really being a fan of uh, some of the things he's done. But um, you look back again and Chris Jericho, my God, this is a time when everyone was like, Chris Jericho, is he the goat? Is he the goat? Oh my God, I think he's the goat. And I don't think he's the goat, but he's great. And he was doing so great at this time that people were really asking that question. So it's wonderful to kind of think back and put yourself in that moment. I think both are still capable uh, of good work that we have seen uh, from time to time. But man, just for these two to meet at this particular time, both of these guys, I feel like they both had something to prove because there was a time when both guys really could have been written off. You know, Cody's uh, catchphrase that you mentioned being Mm -hmm. undesirable uh, you know, haha. But also, I think both of them were kind of considered undesirable at one time for so 
for them to come and have this feud and have people be so excited. Like you said, people voted this like uh, so highly in the rankings and the feud at the time, all this stuff. So just thinking back to that alone, I think is very interesting. Yeah, definitely. I just think of Jericho. This is he he felt like a killer at this point. Um, he felt like a really serious threat. This was before the crowd was singing Judas, you know, and this is a wrestler who is beloved uh, and, and can do that comedy stuff very well. And I think that's probably why why he he goes back to it as he as he has you know he's with orange cassidy floundering around in the uh mimosa mayhem and uh <laughs> i think if some of the stuff he's done with mjf it's very campy and very showy and he can pull it off so well but in the build-up to this he felt like a, a real serious champion it didn't feel like he was you know pandering he felt like he'd earned it he definitely wasn't showing his age one bit the way that i sort of phrased this or think of this this match and and the build-up and sort of the ultimate stakes of this match is that Jericho, he kind of wanted to hijack this movement that the elite had created. And Cody at the time, even though he's not at all part of the elite anymore, you know, they haven't been seen on camera together since that initial promo with the pandemic, I think. Um, he was felt very much like the heart and soul of this company. And Chris Jericho had come along and he wanted to hijack and make this company all about him. You know, very famously, he was... He had that promo at the end of Double or Nothing, which, which people forget about because of the the Moxley debut, which was so incredible. <laughs> uh, but he was saying that this this company was created to be all about me and to show what I can do uh, and show that Chris Jericho can draw 10,000 people. Uh, he wanted to hijack it and Cody wanted to save it. Uh, and that was very much sort of the stakes for this, as well as, you know, this personal animosity that these two had, had built up. Now, we did mention it. The stakes that Cody put on this match was that if he lost it, he would never challenge for the AEW title again. The reason he said he did that was because he saw everything that Dusty went through, being the booker uh, and also being the champion uh, and how that affected him and how he felt like that affected Dusty's legacy. This was a really divisive thing to add on to this match. Obviously, you're a fan of Cody at the time. How did you take the stakes of this, Ms. Fan? Well, I do want to just say I'm a fan of Cody still, and I look forward to him hopefully kind of regaining some of this momentum. Uh, but as far as the challenge goes, I never really had an issue with it. I think it certainly created doubts about who would win the match, which, of course, is what it was there for. Uh, I remember thinking at the time that they actually would have Cody go over at one point. I was never quite sure, but to put a stipulation this serious and in a company where still early days, but certainly they had put out the implication that they would take their stipulations very seriously. So it did create doubt. I never really thought of it as a negative, to be honest, you know, certainly it would be nice to have Cody available for a world title match uh, if he were to heat up again, but I don't think it's essential. And I think, in some ways, it benefited him a lot through 2020 because he focused heavily on these personal feuds. He focused on uh, the TNT Championship. He had a very great run with that. The feud with Brody, you know, this, that, everything he did in 2020 seemed to be touched with gold. So if there's a negative effect to it, I guess I haven't seen it. I have heard some people who aren't thrilled with it, but, um, you know, certainly there's no changing it now. Yeah, I, I think for myself at the time, I wasn't as big of a fan of it 
simply because I felt like Cody deserved to be in that main event top guy spot and could see from how over he was at the time as a face and knowing how good he was as a heel the year before. It's easy to forget. Start of 2018, he was probably the most hated heel in the in the world <laughs> one of the most hated heels in the world you know except for maybe roman reigns um, he was probably the most hated heel in the world because of how he was feuding with kenny omega and he was so good in that role and for me i i just thought they're missing an opportunity by writing cody out of the main event scene uh but as as you said obviously they he went on to be the inaugural TNT champion and they've done a very good job of of making that title be something that can certainly headline uh, a TV show headline their mini pay-per-views hasn't headlined a paper a full-blown pay-per-view yet but you know given the right champion I think it could and that was all set in motion by Cody Rhodes doing the work as he says uh, so we we will move on from from discussing that and we'll get into the actual match itself so I wanted to just briefly talk about the introductions. Of course, we had the introduction of the judges first. Mizzy, you're a, you're a fan of 80s territory wrestling where they did have judges. This was the first match I think I'd ever watched that mentioned judges. What did you, you think of, of having judges there? Well, I actually forgot about the judges, so I'm glad you mentioned that. Who was it? It was <laughs> Dean Malenko and uh, who were the other two? Dean Malenko, Arn Anderson, and Muta. And Muta could not look – it's funny, the, the camera cuts them a few times during the match. And uh, Arn in particular looks like he's being very studious in his role as a judge. He's got a, a clipboard out. He's got a pen, and he's writing notes. Dean sort of, you know, half in, half out. Muta could not look less interested in being a judge. <laughs> he's there, I think he's wearing a Bullet Club shirt or some, some sort of pro wrestling T-shirt and a hat. He's, he doesn't have any sort of notes or anything like that. I, I don't know what would have happened if they went to him for a judgment call. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, and it's not something they've gone back to. I, I sort of thought when they did this, I was like, oh, okay, this is going to be something they're going to do at every pay-per-view for the AEW championship match. They haven't gone back to it. What did Do you have anything to add about the judges or is it just something like, oh, that's just oh, a thing Cody did for, for yeah, all time's sake? Yeah, who were intending maybe to do something more with this? I think Jericho does interact with Malenko at one point. That was a nice callback that I appreciated. Uh, as for Muda, you know, a lot of people don't agree with this, but after 89, I don't think he ever wanted to come to America. We keep dragging the poor man over here. He just doesn't care when he comes over here. Just my opinion. But I'll say I felt like the connection here was to the third Ric Flair, Ricky Steamboat match, which did have judges, one of which was Terry Funk, uh, which led into the Flair Funk feud um, in an incredible, one of my favorite segments of all time. Obviously, they didn't pay off something big like that. But as you say, clearly there was some kind of nod to kind of an 80s feel. It's weird to remember it now, but I didn't mind it at the time. Like, it was just uh, kind of another little piece of the puzzle and how they wanted to present the match. Mm. For me, looking back at it, it is a bit of a weird sort of thing that they did. But I, I didn't know that was the, the history of it. As I said, I, I haven't really ever taken notice of judges before. Big entrance for Cody in this match. He's a guy who just loves the theatrics of wrestling. And I think sometimes that means for me, he overdoes it a little bit and maybe overplays his hand. But in this case, man, this entrance works so well for me. Yeah. I think you have to go big in wrestling. You know, you have to roll the dice on that and he's good at that. 
Was this the debut of the neck tattoo? I think it might have no, been. No, that was the MJF match. Okay, all right. Well, then he hadn't made that terrible mistake yet, so we will... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that also, that was a, a uh, match with a hat on a hat. Not only did it have the debut of the neck tattoo, the infamous neck tattoo, he also had downstate playing for the ring as well. Not in this case. This case, it was just big pyro him looking like an 80s G.I. Joe action hero, and, you know, walking to the ring, absolutely cheered to the ring by the crowd, beloved by the crowd at the time. Really great gear, gold and silver. He Cody's got really good gear, uh, probably one of the best in AEW, I think, particularly on the bloke side. Um, really great gear. J- Jericho comes in, no one singing Judas, looking very serious, and a big entrance, big time feel from Justin Roberts when he announces everything. Did you have anything else to add in relation to the pre-match there, Mizzy? Not really. Um, yeah, very good presentation. I would have to agree overall. Yeah. Um, in terms of the actual match, it's interesting how things started with this. It, these guys were going backward and forward, one, trying to one-up each other early on, some light grappling and and Cody got advantage early. It was Cody that set the pace early. He seemed to get the better of Chris Jericho in most of the exchanges early on. Going into this match, Mizzy, what, what did you think of how it got started? I think they played it off um, just like you would expect, and I mean that in a good way. A wrestling has gone far too interested in the swerve at times, and that's uh, maybe a Vince Russo-ism we haven't been able to shake. Sometimes what's expected is what's best. So you have the hot baby face taking advantage, uh, you know, getting ahead of the heel and it just works. So uh, everything is going very well in this match. I think not to jump ahead too much, but uh, I know the big moment in this match where things really seem to get kicked to a high gear, but I'll, I'll hold off in case you have more to say about uh, what happens before that. Not a lot, honestly. Early on, Cody um, is working the arm, particularly of Jericho. He's working the arm to try and nullify the Judas effect, which is being played up on commentary as sort of a, a really big deal. And, I mean, still to this day, no one's kicked out of it. So it definitely is a big deal. And when Jericho was the champion, um, this move felt like it was death. Jericho's Judas effect equaled death. It equaled the end of the match. So Cody working on the arm. uh, He very pumped. Um, One of the things for Cody's, you know, and he does this in in a lot of his matches and very fiery, particularly as a face. And I, I really love how holy he gives himself to this he is just so pumped up by the crowd feeding off the crowd feeding off the energy that he's getting and in this match as i said he's using that fire to continually get the advantage over chris jericho and he's the first one to hit big moves he hits a tope early on um, and is completely pumped up after he does it pacing around and then, of course, we've got sort of the centerpiece of this match. Earlier on today, just before we recorded, I put a thing on Twitter and said, what are your memories of this match? And, of course, everyone mentioned the dive. Right before, it's funny, right before Cody goes for this dive, JR talks about how hard the ramp is. <laughs> and watching it now in, in rewatch, I'm like, oh, yeah, Cody is about to find this out. Of course, Cody dives huge moment. I'm not sure how much of a botch this was, what what happened. Something, obviously, he didn't intend to do what he ended up doing, but he goes head first into the ramp, immediately is bleeding, and there's a big gash on him. 
What do you think happened in this, Mizzy? Uh, obviously, something went wrong, and, and I don't think Cody was meant to hit this, um, but this becomes a big turning point in the match as well. What What was your initial initial thoughts when he hit that dive, or didn't hit that dive more specifically? <laughs> well, as you say, it's definitely a big centerpiece of the match, so whatever was intended almost doesn't matter at this point. Knowing a little something about the Rhodes family and how much they love to bleed, I do have to wonder... If he intended something to happen, I can't imagine it was this because they say it's an enormous gash and I'm pretty sure you can still see the scar yeah, scarred from it. Yeah. yeah. To this day, you know, to, to the end of his life, probably. So surely he didn't intend this exactly to happen, but by God, does it make the match? You know, sometimes a match can be distilled through kind of a moment or a visual or something like that. And, for me, that can elevate a match far beyond, you know, you, you've got your matches which are, are very long and they're full of moves and they appeal to certain kind of people. And sometimes they appeal to me. But, man, you give me something visceral, something gritty like this, a man who busts his head open, just scraping across a steel ramp. He's got a gash. They're working around it. They're telling the story. The visual's incredible. Man, to me, that will elevate a match far, far up the chain. Yeah, Cody gets up from this. As as you said, he's bleeding from his head. He's holding his ribs as well. Apparently, they they got hurt, whether that's real or or not. Who knows? I mean, he came down pretty hard on them, so they probably weren't they probably weren't feeling too great, even if he didn't, you know, completely break a rib or anything. And Jericho, absolute pro, immediately starts. Bow- well, he initially gives Cody a moment because I think obviously it's uh. It probably didn't come off quite the way they planned it, but Cody gets up disoriented immediately on the back foot and Jericho immediately goes for it. And I think the from this point, the the way the match pans out, it's it's very clear, you know, Jericho is a hyena. He is a guy who is just toying with this down or working over this this weakened foe that he's got. And Cody is just a fiery fiery fool almost you know every (laughs) single time cody finds a gap he tries to go for a big move like a big he goes for a moonsault he goes for the disaster the destruction kick or the disaster kick i've forgotten what he calls it he knows that he is busted and that he is weakened and when he gets a moment he tries to go for a one-hit ko and jericho from this point onwards in the match he's feeling like he's on top and he is on top and he's just methodically slowly working down cody continually attacking the ribs continually attacking the the wound on his on his head and and one of the things i loved about this match was how jericho interacts with aubrey edwards is that something that you picked up on mizzy i don't recall it specifically in this match but i would just throw a blanket statement that all chris jericho aubrey edwards interactions are pure gold so if they were in the ring together you know something good happened there because they you don't think about a referee and a wrestler necessarily having chemistry, yet a very nice thing about AEW that is never talked about is they are so specific about what referee works with which wrestler, and there is a certain chemistry there. You see Rick Knox is always with the Young Bucks. You see Bryce Remsburg is often in there with the you know, extra car people that he knows well, with Eddie Kingston and others like that, and Aubrey Edwards very often is right there with Chris Jericho, and they always have these great interactions. So amazing referee core in AEW and uh, yeah. great placement. I'm glad you mentioned that. 
Yeah, yeah, one in particular. Aubrey's just like constantly trying to get in to check on Cody. And and there's a few times where as she goes to get in, Jericho gets in the road and they have a bit of verbal back and forth. There's even a moment where Jericho, it looks like he's going to, I think he even does push Aubrey. It looks like he's going to like get even more physical with her and the crowd really like Aubrey. And, you know, they're even more up in arms about that. Jericho just absolutely dastardly heel. And man, Cody, as I said, he's a guy who just gets the theatrics of wrestling and the post dive onwards in this match, he's just gritting through his teeth. He's got blood on his face, in his hair. It's just such a great visual. And then, of course, you've got the interplay on the outside with Hagar, who gets in a number of right hands. He gets chucked down. (laughs) Then in the chaos of all of that, when Hagar gets chucked out, Jericho lines up a title shot. Cody Rhodes hits a crossroads, but doesn't get it. And then this is awesome chant from the crowd. And then, of course, Jericho gets him in a lion's tamer or gets him in the walls of Jericho. Before that, lashing him with the belt, um, but gets him in the walls of Jericho. Cody refuses to tap out. Jericho transitions to a lion tamer. Really, really steep angle on Cody. And then, of course, MJF throws in the towel um what an ending to this match what did you think of the ending i just want to first say about cody's performance and maybe i'm jumping to something you were saving but but i'm just going to throw it out here the reason people talk about the the cody dustin match of course and to me that is a definitive dustin Rhodes match uh, i look at that performance the way he's bleeding, the way he comes in and, and fights with his brother and all that is a beautiful Dustin performance. It's a, it's a great Cody performance as well. I've got my nitpicks with it. But when I think of a Cody match, a definitive Cody match, this is the one I think of. And I think of it, I'm very strong in this belief because you look at this match and I think you see everything that Cody Rhodes could be if they had made him champion, if they had gone that way, and he gets to show so much of it anyway, of course, with all the things in 2020 that we already talked about. But God, like, to me, this is a definitive Cody Rhodes performance. I don't I don't know if he'll ever give a greater performance than the one he gave in this match. In so many other matches, he, I think, allows the other guy to kind of, like, make it their match to be, like, definitive some way. Like the Brody Lee match, I think... He lets Brody Lee drive so much of that, and it's a better match for it. And even something like uh, the Wardlow-Cage match, which I also think is phenomenal, he he allowed Wardlow to take so much of that match and to really like look like a star in that, and that's amazing. But this, this was all Cody Rhodes to me, and the way he fought, and as you say, the way he gritted through this, and then to come down to the end with everything on the line, you know he couldn't quit, but he was bleeding. He wasn't getting out of it. The towel gets thrown in. Man, I, whew, it's it's just really something, you know. It gets to me even now talking about it. We're, what, two years on here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think it was really perfectly done. If there was something I might do different, I think it would come after the match, and we'll talk about that shortly i'm sure but as for the way this match ended i really think it was about perfect yeah knowing knowing your take on it and you i hadn't re-watched this match until i did last um about a week ago for this um for this podcast knowing your take on this match as it being the definitive cody match 
watching it again, I could not help but agree with you. I I also thought of when you, when I was thinking what are other definitive Cody matches and performances. I also was thinking the the Dustin Rhodes, it's not the Dustin Rhodes, the um Brody Lee feud. But man, this match with the way that he is he is the centerpiece of this match. Chris Jericho, and I've got an interesting another thing I'll, I'll mention about Jericho before after we we speak about Cody. But this match, he is just so fiery. Um, this match is just completely built around his heart the con- and the connection that he has with the crowd and how the crowd just want to will him forward uh, and how he feeds off that but ultimately can't get it done because he is foiled by someone that he trusts because he is a guy who who wants to establish this company. So he's seen this guy, MJF, who uh, you know he thinks could be something. Uh, and even though he knows that MJF is not the greatest guy, he can just see the potential. So he he's like, I'll, I'll get this guy near me and I'll work on him. And hopefully he grows as opposed to Jericho, who has these people around him purely to look after him and purely to elevate him, uh, not because he thinks that he can help them at all, um, because he thinks he can use them. And and this is so Cody. And even in comparison to the, the Dustin Rhodes and the Cody Rhodes match, which I loved and at the time I thought was a better match, I definitely think this is the more definitive Cody Rhodes match. You know, he, I mean, he does everything. He even throws in, he does a bionic elbow for a giant two count, you know, speaking Mm. about sort of his reverence for the history of his family and the history of wrestling. This was, was such a performance from him, such a, a performance of a, of a face who will just fight and fight and fight, even when it's not smart to fight anymore, just because that's what he does. And, Jericho. Now, I have this take on Jericho that I sort of thought of coming up in this match in that I don't know what I would say is the definitive Chris Jericho match because this guy is a chameleon um, and he is so perfect against Cody Rhodes in this match because he's so easy. He, he finds it so easy to sort of transition into being this completely villainous and and completely meritless heel and earlier in, you know, just to sort of what the things that were po- popping around in my head is like earlier on in the company against Kenny Omega, he put on a much more what you'd call like a work rate match, much more of a Kenny Omega match when he was up against Kenny Omega. His match with Mox was, I would say, much more of a Moxley match. And going through his feuds in AEW in particular, I haven't thought of this in terms of his history long term, but I, I don't really know what you would call a definitive Chris Jericho match and that's not speaking poorly on Chris Jericho I love Chris Jericho in fact I think it speaks highly of him in just how he can get so much out of these different performers that he's against it's a fair point and um (laughs) I kind of reject a little bit this idea for a while it was like the talking point of like oh my god Chris Jericho reinvents himself from scratch and he's just an amazing mind and yes certainly he is good at kind of uh Switch, like he'll add a prop or a catchphrase or so, you know, but uh, it's a little overstated. I think he's pretty much always just like the obnoxious rock star in just like yeah. slightly different. It sounds like that's what he's like in real life as well. So. Exactly. You know, so <laughs> great. It works out for him. So I push back a little on that narrative, but in the ring, I definitely take your point. This is a guy who's very good at playing to the strengths of the guys in the ring with. And I actually think, I think people, 
feel a little iffy on maybe his MJF matches, his recent matches. I still think he's doing it. And maybe it's uh, not as uh, popular now to kind of appreciate that about him. But I think there's a lot to be said about Chris Jericho's uh, versatility when it comes to working with different opponents and really understanding how to play to their strength. So I would have to think on it to think if I I have a a definitive Chris Jericho match. But just off the top of my head, I think I'm inclined to agree with you. Now, uh, this this podcast, talking about this match, would not be complete if we didn't talk about the ending. Uh, Mm. As the stipulation was divisive so was this ending was divisive i love this ending personally but this uh, some people didn't like this ending because of the stakes that were attached to it mjf throws in the towel when all is lost i i think honestly i think all is lost at this point in the match i don't think cody rhodes has a way back as i said in this match before the dive cody is is very much on top after the dive because he's injured and because chris jericho is vicious and he's a hyena Chris Jericho just continually wears Cody down. Cody's only hope is a big one-hit KO, which he continually fails to hit, um, even when he hits the, the crossroads and the cutters and the di- anything. He fails to get that knockout blow that he needs. Uh, MJF throws in the towel. Just, I'll just get your initial thoughts on the ending, Mizzy, and, and MJF as a character, but I've got a, a question to follow up on that I'd like to sort of explore was MJF always going to screw Cody over in this match or in the moment did he just come up with it and then decide to double down on it when he, you know, when he went, when he went through with it, he threw in the towel and initially acted like, you know, it wasn't, he was initially apologetic, but then he doubles down and kicks Cody in the nuts. <laughs> what, what, what do you, what did you think of, of this ending firstly? And then that, that thought about MJF's character. Well, I'll just say, um, Obviously, my uh, my my handle, if you will, is uh, Miss Fan. It's because when I picked it in uh, God, 2010, something like that, uh, there was probably nobody I liked more than the Miz. Still like him a lot. Probably wouldn't pick that name today, you know, if I were uh, coming in. That's <laughs> funny, Miss Fan. For those of you who don't know, there are very few people in the IWC more knowledgeable about indie wrestling than a guy who calls himself Miss Fan, which I find <laughs> hilarious personally. <laughs> I would be not a lot for me, but. Um, yeah, no, still love The Miz, um, and I love that kind of character, and MJF is very much a Miz type. He's not going to be known necessarily for his in-ring work, although I think he's very underrated in that area, mm, because absolutely. the matches he wrestles um, are so story and character-driven, which I think is a huge benefit. But most of all, this is a guy who understands the character he wants to be, and he is that at all times, and that character is just this, like, despicable uh, guy that you want to punch and throttle, and it's just, oh, something so good about it, man. With his with his build and his attitude in the past, he probably would have been, like, one of the greatest managers ever. Now, you know, there's not so many necessary, like, size restrictions or what have you. Not that he's so small, but you know what I'm getting at. Like, on, his, mm. on the mic, as a character, man, there's very few as good as MJF right now. And he's very much a throwback. So I I love the character and I adored this relationship he had with Cody Rhodes, where we all knew that he was scum. And yet when Cody was around, he would act differently. And you had to wonder, because Cody kind of knew it too, but he had faith in him. He kind of, they had this unlikely friendship that was so good, this mentorship role. And you knew, you knew eventually 
MJF's nature was going to get the better of him and he was going to betray Cody. But how would it happen? When would it happen? Would it maybe even be diverted somehow? Little chance of that, but you didn't know for sure. So it's this great relationship. I thought it worked so well to have him throw the the towel in. I think the only thing that I would have changed is I would not have had him kind of reveal his his dastardly intentions so quickly. I would have loved to see this relationship spiral out further. And of course, they're going to have the conflict. And of course, eventually, it's going to be shown that MJF was always going to undercut Cody. He took away this opportunity. But I was a little disappointed that they kind of Because there was a really big question, like that question you asked me very much existed in those few minutes after the match. Like MJF, was he sincere? Was he, you know, kind of screwing Cody over? We didn't know. And I would love to see that play out more. But other than that, I can't say a bad thing about this. I think it was done just spectacularly. Yeah, it's, I I don't know either in terms of was this, obviously had a towel down there, which is very interesting. Why would you bring a towel down to like a white (laughs) towel? To a re- they, if they you weren't planning on, on using it, you know. And yeah. I mean, that funnily enough, it echoes Cody bringing a towel to the ring during the Kenny Omega versus Kazuchika Okada feud. He, mm. So there was sort of a, a narrative symmetry there as well. When he came out, man, the heat on MJF when he made that walk back to the yeah. back to the back. He, I, I've completely forgotten about this, but he had a drink thrown at him, uh, and I don't think it was by a plant. I, I think it was genuine because you look in the background and security immediately go straight over to this bloke to, <laughs> to get him out. But, you know, there is absolute live fire <laughs> coming at MJF from the crowd. Just, just quickly, I think, before we get into the legacy and the aftermath of this match, I wanted to to point out the commentary's effort during this match. It's it's not so not so fashionable to praise JR in particular, but JR is so into this match and makes this match feel so big. Excalibur also is right into this match and you know they come from two very different schools of of wrestling in terms of what they came up on and what they, you know, made their name on, but both of them being so into this match speaks very highly for the legacy and and how good this match was. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it would have been so interesting to see the way it might have gone out otherwise, but they made the choice they did. And I really think having made that choice, they executed it as well as humanly possible. So yeah, with everything going into this, I can't really second guess it. I mean, I can, but at the same time, you can't really argue with the results that it had. Yeah, obviously, this was a, a, a very simple wrestling match in terms of the way it was structured, the mm-hmm. matches used, but it, that suited both of the performers. I'm not saying that as something as a detraction, but the presentation for this match was was spot on with the entrances. Um, it, it felt like a real big-time main event, even though it wasn't the main event of this pay-per-view because the main event was the unsanctioned match between Mox and Omega. This felt like it was really the pinnacle of something, and... AEW deserve praise for for how they built this thing up. Now, in terms of the the legacy and the aftermath of this match, of course, Chris Jericho would go on to hold the AEW title until Revolution, where he feuded with John Moxley and lost the title. Cody would eventually face MJF after they kind of had a bit of a pause for a little bit, and then they went on to face each other at Revolution. And there was, of course, the first um, the first set of labors that MJF would impose on someone. 
where do you think this match sits for? Uh, we've said, of course, that we we both think now that this is the definitive Cody match. Where do you think this this match ranks in the pantheon or the legacies of each of the wrestlers that was involved? Ooh, well, it's a little tough to say just off the top of my head. I think for Cody, as we said, it's got to sit very right near the top. Yeah. yeah, you can say. You could say the Dustin. A lot of people prefer the Dustin match. That's always what people say when I bring that up. And I will just say to that, and I will pose this to you as well. My only problem with this match and why I think Cody is superior here is in this match, Cody is so he is embodying the thing that he is. And in the Dustin Rhodes match, it's just kind of muddled because he's coming out and he's like breaking the throne with his sledgehammer and he's like a badass but then in the match he's like the naughty heel and like he gets spanked on his butt and he's not you know so like what is he in that match i don't know it's a question that plagues me to this day so i don't know if there's an answer for that or not but uh i want to throw that to you a second before we talk further on uh on the rest for me i think there's a big element of the moment with that match Double or Nothing 2020 being the first pay-per-view that they had was a landmark. Uh, And it very much was setting the tone for what they would do. And that match felt like it was from something completely different to what we'd seen before. Even having been a fan of New Japan and watching that, Cody wasn't wrestling these matches in New Japan. And knowing the kinship that those two had, the fact that they're both brothers and the insane blade job that Dustin Rhodes did where he was yes. just bleeding left, right, and center. <laughs> You're right that the messaging of the match is is a bit muddled in, in terms of the the way that Cody gets spanked particularly is a bit incongruent to what, what is happening. But I think this is a match that lives as much on how people remember the feeling of it. There was even going in, Cody Rhodes was talking about a new era of wrestling and destroying the attitude era, which is something that I personally related to very much. I was very sick of the nostalgia act that was happening in the other show and, and having Cody verbalizing that and not in a patronizing way in the way that it was sort of done by Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns when they were facing up against Brock Lesnar, but really embodying that smashing this throne coming out to a song that says there's more than one Royal family in wrestling And then at the end, of course, having this incredibly emotional reuniting with his brother once they've beaten each other so much that they remember that they're brothers and that they remember that they love each other. I think that's what people remember. And as good as this match is, I don't think it trumps that complete experience, even though from, as you said, and as we've talked about, from sort of a more of an objective perspective, this match is is superior probably in in the way that it's set out the way that the characters interact i just don't think it it just can't match that moment and there's probably it probably never could have because you can only have one way to kickstart everything the way that that double or nothing match did yeah all great points i feel like (laughs) intellectually i could nitpick almost everything you just said but it doesn't really matter does it because wrestling at its core is about feelings 
first and foremost. So I totally get it. And I want to make clear, I think the Dustin match is fantastic. I think Dustin sacrificed about half the blood on his body to make sure everyone would have that <laughs> feeling. And that's, you know, great. Like, it, it was very much a promise of what AEW could be. Not just like, of course, you've got like your, your work rate matches, as you mentioned before, and those can be so fun, but God, something bloody and gritty like that, a throwback to like the days of the NWA and uh, just that feeling. Yeah, no. So I understand. I just like to throw it out there and kind of make people acknowledge that even though you may like that match better and that's great, um, there is a bit of cognitive dissonance involved, so I just had to throw that out there. Yeah, no, that's fair. It's, I think it's a really interesting critique because, as I said, uh, and, and we'll get into re-watching the match, um, but personally I felt like the the Dustin match was superior, and that's the one that won match of the year that year for wrestling headlines. That's the match I thought was a match of the year as well, and it's interesting how it can be carried so much by that feeling that you felt, even though, as I said, intellectually watching this match, it was, I would say it was probably a superior thing. And two more questions. Yes. Where do you think that this match ranks in sort of the pantheon of AEW matches? It's almost, for me, it's almost a, a forgotten match, sadly, not something that gets a whole lot of talk and chatter about it. There's not too many people talking about remembering it, even even though it was so good. And it is a landmark event. This is the first time the AEW Championship was defended on a pay-per-view. And the build to this was just so well done. And Cody was so beloved and Chris Jericho was so hated. Yeah, I mean, it's a shame. I think I voted it number two overall. And I did. I checked really that. <laughs> But, yeah, one person uh, voted at one. Shout out to Brooklyn Ike. Ah, uh, uh, Brooklyn has impeccable taste as well. So <laughs> he's a man. I speak with him often. Yeah, so I, I definitely noticed, uh, you said what? It was like 30 people voting on this. I noticed it got eight votes. And yet still, it jumped up as high as 13. So clearly the people that do remember it kind of remember how great it is. But you're right that it's sort of forgotten as well. Like 22 people either didn't remember the match or didn't really think it was worth a vote in this, uh, you know, great match list that you put together. And it's unfortunate, but it is what it is. You know, you, you can't really efface that feeling again. So to me, maybe it's a, a forgotten gem. Maybe it's something that will kind of be revisited more in the future. Maybe it just had the bad fortune to be too close to that Dustin match. And, uh, you know, it sort of got lost in the shadow of that. So I don't know. You know, wrestling is full of forgotten gems from every era, including very recent ones. So maybe it will fall in that. But I hope that by people like you and I talking it up, uh, it will kind of be looked at more positively as people go forward. Uh, I think it landed 13th on the list. That seems fair to me. You know, I think that's probably a good maybe consensus pick of where it might fall. Yeah, I I certainly couldn't argue with it falling 13th because I didn't even vote for this in my top 15, which now, looking back on it, I'm questioning. My next question is going to be, how did it change for you re-watching this match? I'll answer that question first for myself because re-watching this match, I appreciated it so much more. I enjoyed it so much more. And I think one of the th- – I was reflecting on why that might be. I think part of it was just this was a really long pay-per-view and this was the second last match, which is a – difficult position to be and I think I might have just been worn out when I watched it so I wasn't quite as emotionally invested in it as I could have been um but looking back on it this is a really really fantastic match 
particularly if you're looking at a match where you've got really clear outlined hero, really clear, clear outlined dastardly villain. Uh, and there's two of them in this match, two dastardly villains in this match, uh, and a hero who won't stop fighting. I, I definitely think this one gets underrated. 13th is probably actually a good pick, which speaks to the quality of the people that I chose to do the definitive AEW match guide when I thought out this thing. <laughs> um, did you rewatch this match at all, Ms. Fan, before before we jumped on this podcast? Uh, I did not have time to rewatch it, yeah. but I did kind of revisit, you know, notes that I've taken and what mm. other people have written about it. And it reminded me, first of all, as I mentioned kind of at the start, just how incredibly good Jericho and Cody were at that time. Mm. And even though yep. they can still do good things, we are a little bit distant from that now. Like the vibe around both of them is not the same for various reasons. So it's a little bit unfortunate. It did also remind me, how much more I like this than the match that followed it, which unfortunately I think um, placed higher in the voting, which hurts me. Uh, the Moxley Omega lights out match with the big like giant barbed wire bed frame and all the stuff they did. And so I, I won't go on and on about that. But uh, if you look, for I'll, my I'll quickly tell you something I, you might not expect from me, okay. given that Mox and Omega are my two favorite wrestlers. This match is way better than that one. <laughs> that one is, I, I feel like that match is vastly overrated personally, but that's, oh. that's for, that's for me to discuss with someone else at some point when we get to that match. On this podcast. Oh, and you know, I'm not even a big fan of Omega. I think Omega and Moxley have had a great match. I thought their um, barbed wire. Road yeah, match that's, that, that's my go-to better, now. Like, post-match yeah. notwithstanding, of course, but like the match yep. itself was extremely good. And I give Omega credit for that. And of course, Moxley as well. Uh, who I think is just sublime, but far greater than this, like bloated, too long. All right. Speaking of too long, I know we're going on and on, so I won't <laughs> harp on it. But uh, yeah, Cody Jericho, um, beautiful match. Great stuff. Yeah. Look, I, I won't add any more. As you said, we have gone on. We're coming up to, I think we're coming close to an hour or so now. Yes. Look, I, I really appreciate having you on, Ms. Fan. Did you have anything else to add about this match before you get your plugs in and we call it a wrap? Not at all. Go rewatch it if you haven't seen it since it was on. I think you may like my friend Sam here. Uh, appreciate it even more. Maybe you won't. That's your right as a wrestling fan to like what you like. Uh, I will throw my plugs out here. Please do check out LLPforums.com. It's a lot of great written material. Uh, WrestlingHeadlines.com as well. Check out uh, the Legacy Series, as was mentioned, on the, kind of the LLP Radio Network. We have a blast doing that show. And, uh, yeah, uh, thanks for having me on. It was great fun. Invite me back anytime you want. Or uh, don't if you want to have some shorter episodes. <laughs> huh. uh, look, I'm I'm an expert at going long in these sorts of things. <laughs> don't know if I've got the gift of the gab, but I certainly like to gab along a bit. So, <laughs> yeah. Look, uh, as I said, my only my only takeaway would be this is one that's definitely worth a rewatch because. I was really impressed when I rewatched it. I've really changed my opinion on this match. I, I never hated it, but I I really love this match now, um, as opposed to just sort of thinking that it was, yeah, all right. Um, so that would be my takeaway from this. You can hit me up on Twitter, Sir underscore Samuel. You can find me also on the LOP forums, um, or you can find the definitive AEW match guide on wrestlingheadlines.com under Sir Sam's Court. That's my column archive. 
And yeah, look, I, I look forward to having you on again sometime, Mizzy. I'm not sure when it will be, but I, I've got a couple in mind that we might like to, to get into, given what you voted on and given who our favourite wrestlers are. Um, but we'll get to that another time. Thank you very much for being here today. And thank you to everyone who's listened in today. I really appreciate it and look forward to seeing you again soon. for listening to the AEW Match Guide podcast. If you enjoyed the show, then you can subscribe on the podcast app of your choice so you never miss an episode. Also, feel free to let me know on Twitter at Sir underscore Samuel. I'd love to hear from you. The AEW Match Guide podcast is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network, where you can find many other fantastic podcasts discussing not just AEW, but all parts of the world of professional wrestling. Looking forward to seeing you again next week. I'm Sam Brown. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.